I want you to turn your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, just three verses. That we are quite familiar with. Ephesians chapter 2, reading from verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Pray with me, please. Our Father and our God, we are grateful once again for the opportunity to not only hear from you, but to be a vehicle through which your word is communicated. And Lord, I, with all my inadequacies and inconsistencies and shortcomings, Lord, I'm humbled for the opportunity to be that vehicle this evening. I pray, O oh Lord, that as we read your word today and as we listen to your still small voice, may we hearken unto your voice and do exactly as thou hast said. We commit this time to you. We commit ourselves to you. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you might be exalted and glorified through your word for we ask it in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 10 uh, talks about those who have been saved being God's workmanship. He says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that would be the, the focus of our challenge this evening. So the question is, what is workmanship? What is workmanship? My son had some work done at his house recently, his, his kitchen cabinets, and the, the guy that did the cabinets did such a horrifying work uh, that he had to fire him and hire somebody else. Uh, and when we think of workmanship, we think of something that someone has done. But we also think of uh, a, a created sketch or a drawing or a picture that a person has created with their own hands and uh, they may not call it their masterpiece or their workmanship, but others may look at it and see it and say, boy, this is a good piece of work. This is a masterpiece. And so, it is branded a masterpiece because it stands out above all the other work that someone has done. And so, workmanship is a, basically a, a masterful, created work of art. Something that stands head and shoulders above everything else of its kind. And the Bible tells us in this passage that the believer is God's workmanship. Now, you need to think about that for a moment because God created a whole lot of stuff. God created the entire world. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, tells us what comprises God's workmanship. 
Listen to what Isaiah says. For the Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. Think about that for a moment. Everything that we see in our world, in our universe, God created it and he put it exactly where it is. That's where he wanted it to be. He put it there. Okay, and sometimes we hear people talk about things being out of place. There's nothing in creation that is out of place. It's not where it's supposed to be because that's where God created it and designed it to be. It says he created everything and put, in, put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not a place of empty chaos. One version says he created not the world in vain. I am the Lord, he says, and there's no other. In other words, he says this, I created this world, the world, the, the, he made the world and lived in it, not to be a place of chaos, I am the Lord and I tell you that, is what he is saying. In other words, you can take it from me. If I said it, that's the way it is. And so according to what Isaiah says here, <coughs> all creation is God's workmanship. He created it. He made it from scratch. Bible tells us out of nothing he created something. So all of it is his workmanship. However, according to what Paul tells us in our text here this evening, only what is obtained salvation through faith is actually called God's workmanship. You notice that? We think about when we think about all the raw materials that God had to work with, you know, sometimes you, a person has a job to do and they need some materials to do it and the materials that they need is not the, the ideal quality of materials to be able to accomplish the kind of work that they want. And they say, well, under the circumstances with the materials I got to work with, I'll do the best I can. Well, think about the raw materials that God had to work with to create this workmanship, this masterpiece. The New Living Translation says, God's masterpiece. The other version would say workmanship. It's the same thing. But listen, when we think about the raw materials that God had to work with, God's achievement becomes even more extraordinary. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul, how he describes the raw materials that God had to work with to create this masterpiece, this workmanship that we are who have come to faith in him. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 to 3. He says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. That's the raw materials God had to work with to create this masterpiece. Think about it now. He says you were dead. Dead means no life, right? Nothing whatsoever. We call it dead as a doornail. He said you were dead because of your disobedience toward God. Your many, many sins. And he says many because there were a whole lot. We Sometimes we, we lost count of the sins that we commit. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. And so, by that phrase, you know he's talking about believers, those who have been saved. You used to. Past tense. 
obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. And tragically, there are many people who don't realize that that's who they're following today. They continue to follow him. He says, all of you used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, he says, we were subject to the wrath. In other words, we deserve nothing short of God's wrathful judgment. That's the raw materials that he had to work with to create the masterpiece that he's talking about here in Ephesians. But then, to add insult to injury, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Goes a little further, he says, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to, 15, to 18, he says, as the scripture says, no one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. These words are very familiar with, right? All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. This is the raw materials. When we factor these raw materials that God had to work with, with the, with the born-again believer, without a doubt, we see that God's unique work of art, as Paul described it, is indeed God's masterpiece. God could take nothing and make something out of it that is extraordinarily outstanding. And each and every single one of us gathered here tonight, Paul describes as God's masterpiece. Now I know we don't think about ourselves as, as nothing much sometimes. But God says, because of what I have done, because of what I have created in you, you are my masterpiece. Now what do you do with a masterpiece? What do you do with it? You put it on display, right? You put it up for everybody to see. You show off with it. Well, God wants to show off with us. He wants to put us on the mantelpiece where it is seen for everyone to see. So what, what sets God's masterpiece apart? What sets God's workmanship apart? Notice what he says in verse 10. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. This is not a rehabilitation or a restoration. This is making something brand new. This is not an overhaul. God's masterpiece is what it is because of what a relationship in Christ has produced. What we are in Jesus Christ is what makes this masterpiece what it is. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? An overall person? A new creation, right? That's what it says, right? A new creation. Not only that, he says, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. Listen to what John says about the creativeness of Christ. Paul tells us that we are created anew in Christ. Well, let's look at Jesus' resume in terms of his creativeness. John chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4. 
In the beginning, the Word, that is Christ, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything. There's that phrase, who gave life to everything? And who is the Word? Christ, Jesus. He gave life to everything. Everything that was created. But notice he says here, the last part of the verse, his life brought light to everyone. So if you've been living in darkness for a long time, Jesus is the one who comes and lights up your life. Not BEC. Sorry, Craig. Not BEC. It's Jesus who lights up your life. All right? But then, what is the purpose of God's workmanship? What is his purpose? Well, he tells us in verse 10 as well. The purpose of this masterpiece is expressed in a three-word phrase. For good works. Couldn't be any more simpler than that. For good works. He says, so we can do good things, is what one translation puts it. Are we doing good things? Because of the masterpiece that God has created us to be? That's the question we must each answer this evening. Even though we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works, is what Paul clarifies for us. Good works are the fruit, not the root. That's the fruit. We do not do good works in order to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. Say the good works is a demonstration of the newness that God has created in us. It's a result of what God has done. It's the result of the masterful work of God. Now, when James says faith without works is dead, he doesn't mean that we are saved by faith plus works but by the kind of faith that results in a life of good works. Listen how James puts it into context. James chapter 2, passage, another passage that we hear a lot, we read a lot, we're quite familiar with, but listen what he says in uh, James chapter 2, verses 14, begin at verse 14. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters? Oh, he's talking to us, believers, those who name the name of Christ, those who Paul has described as God's workmanship. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? That's what Craig was talking about this morning. Don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then, don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, anybody here, I don't think anybody here likes to be described as being dead and useless, right? or good for nothing. But that's exactly what he's saying here. That's the implication here. Verse 18. Now someone may argue, 
Some people have faith, others have good works. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good, good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened. Just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Verse 25, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messages and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. That's a new living translation. And so works actually prove the reality of our faith. And so you see why Paul says here, we are created as God's workmanship for good works. Our good works show the change that God has made in our lives. It shows the reality of God's masterpiece. And that's why God wants to put us on a pedestal as his masterpiece. That's why he wants to put us on the mantelpiece. Because our works prove our faith. And so Paul heartily agrees when he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so God's fourfold order sounds something like this. First, faith. Second, salvation. Third, good works. Fourth, rewards. That's the order that God works by. And that's the order that we're going to see when we see, when we go on to be with the Lord or when the Lord comes and takes us. Faith leads to salvation. Salvation results in good works and rewards are given for good works by God. Now, if there's any motivation you can get from any of this is that rewards are coming for the good works. Don't just do it because of the rewards you're going to get because that's what some people do. But the the idea is for all the good works you do, God is not going to overlook it. The Bible tells us that he's no man's debtor. We will receive rewards for the good works, good works that we have done. And then the other question then is, what kind of good works does God expect? What exactly does God expect us to do in terms of good works? Whenever we someone gives us a task to do or a job to do, we want to know exactly what we're supposed to do. Okay, so that we'll know we're doing what we're asked to do. And so that's the significant question that Paul answers next when he says, good works which God prepared beforehand. Good works which God prepared beforehand. The idea of these prepared beforehand works 
is not necessarily to work in them, but to walk in them. Remember, the Bible talks a lot about walking, 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 talking about practical living out of our faith, walking in them, not just working in them. And so God has prepared a path of good works for believers, which he will perform through them as they walk by faith. So God has this, this list of works that he's already prepared, and he's going to work through us to perform these good works as we walk trusting him by faith to do what he wants to do in our lives. So what does that require? Obedience. Obedience. In other words, the good works which God prepared beforehand is the plan that God has for every life that comes into the world. Before we ever save, before, before we ever get saved, God has a career plan path, planned path for us already. He's already planned our spiritual career. Our spiritual career plan is already in place for each and every single one of us. The only way we're going to be able to fulfill that plan is, is if we walk in them by faith. And this does not mean doing a work for God. Instead, it means God performing his work in and through us. God doing what he wants to do in and through our lives. And so you see why it's so important to be submitted to God? The Bible says submit to God and resist the devil. The only way to resist the devil is to submit to God. The only way for God to work through us is to submit to him. Notice what, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. He says, for God is working in you. God is working. You're not doing this on your own. Going right back to what he says, for, for by grace are you saved? By faith? Not by works? Not by anything that you've done to, that you can go ahead and brag and boast about what you've accomplished? He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See how important it is? This is God's masterpiece. And so everything has to be right intact. Everything has to be right in order. God is working in you, giving you the desire. Even the desires are not your own. They come from God. He's going to give you the desire, but he's also going to give you the power to do what is necessary to please him. Because he does this, then we are challenged in verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So remember, whenever you complain about something or you argue about not wanting to do what you are expected to do by God, you're going contrary to what God's masterpiece is supposed to demonstrate in a world of crooked and perverse, of a crooked and perverse generation. And then he goes on. He says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Now that's important, children of God, because there are only two types of children that are living in this world. You're either a, children, a child of God or you're a child of that other fellow. Okay, if you're not living as a child of God, you may not be a child of the devil, but you're behaving like him. 
You're acting like him. You're doing what his children are doing. You're marching according to his drumbeat. You're in step with his children. And so he says, innocent, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, nobody has to tell us how crooked this world is. Right? No, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to find corruption. No matter where you go, and that's what he's talking about here. Crooked and perverse people are everywhere. Everywhere you look, you'll find them. And so he says, we've got to shine like bright lights in a world full of those kinds of people. In other words, a masterpiece stands out, head and shoulders above the rest. A masterpiece is unique. It's not like everything else. And that's what he's saying that we ought to be when he talks about lights shining. And so it's the responsibility of each of us to find out what God's plan is, or what we call it God's will for us. And then simply obey it. That's it. Nothing hard, nothing difficult. Find out what it is and just simply do it. That's what he's saying. There's no need for us to try to scrap out a plan of our own, to come up with something of our own. The plan is already in place. Doing so frees us from all kinds of problems and difficulties. When we try to do things on our own, we always mess up. We always run into problems. We have, always have, have glitches. Following God's plan will avoid us, will free us from all kinds of problems and allow us to live our lives not only in a way that gives God the greatest glory, but also in a way that brings more blessing to those around us, those who are watching us. And if you don't think somebody watching you, you mess up. You'll see how quick they call, out, call you out and show you your faults. I ran into, I was parking in a, in a parking spot on, on um, Market Street one day to go to, to the church, to the public, uh, the register general's office, and I only park in, and then just walk around. And this police officer was standing out front on the, on the, on, in front of the parking lot, and um, he called me by name, and I didn't know him. He called me by name, and he said, uh, you're from Blue Hill Gospel Chapel. I said, I used to be, I'm not there anymore. And he says, oh, I said, where are you now? I said, I'm at, I'm at Calvary. He says, oh, yeah, that's where uh, Anton Wallace is. I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said, and that's where uh, Ed Moxie just went there. I said, yeah. I said, but who, who are you? Who are you? I mean, all this stuff. He said, oh, I said, I've been a police officer for 35 years. They're supposed to know stuff. Okay, so you mess up. And you'll see how quickly people will call you. And I still don't know the name of the fellow. Still don't know who he is. He may have been one of those kids that I used to pick up for Sunday school on 3 o'clock every Sunday afternoon to carry from Yellow Welder to Sunday school. He may have been one of them. I don't know. But I see him every now and then. But you mess up and you'll see how quickly people will call you out. And so when we, when we, when we, are, when we are obedient to God, when we follow God's plan, we bring God the greatest glory. We become a blessing to others. And we store up or accumulate greater rewards for ourselves when that day of reckoning or reward giving comes. And then the, finally, the question, the other question, the final question is, how do we facilitate the good works he has planned 
for our individual lives? How do we facilitate the good works that God has planned for our individual? How do we make it happen? What do we do to bring it along? What do we do to step in line, to fall in step with what God is doing? Paul said that we should walk in them. Walk moves us, it carries along, carries us along. In order to aid or make easy the good works which God prepared beforehand, we should do a couple of things. First of all, confess and forsake sin in our lives as soon as we are aware of it. In other words, we, we, we have to say keep short accounts. You see, God has given us a spirit and a part of the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of our sins. And he does that all day long. Whenever we mess up, he snaps in line. He convicts us right away. And when he convicts us, our response is, Lord, please, I confess, I acknowledge, I confess, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And so one of the first things we can do is to, to facilitate this, these good works that God has planned beforehand is to confess and forsake our sins as soon as God makes us aware of them. And he will. That's one job he doesn't fall down on. And then secondly, be constantly and completely surrendered to God. Constantly and completely. Always and fully. Surrender to him. Always ready and willing to do what God wants us to do. And then thirdly, study God's word and be aware of his will. Not what you feel like doing or what you want to do. Be aware of his will and then do whatever he tells you to do. Now that may sound straightforward, but sometimes that's difficult because many of us have our agendas. Many of us have our plans. And sometimes God comes to us and he tells us to do something and that just upset all of our plans. Lord, I didn't have that in mind. That's not what I wanted to do. I, I wasn't planning on doing that. Or at least I wasn't planning on doing it now. And God comes and says, listen, do this now. Right now, and I want you to do it. But I have my way of do it this way. And so God comes in and he tells us what he wants us to do. And so we have to study God's word. And see, that's one of the reasons why people are reluctant to study God's word. Because they know as soon as they get into the word, God is going to tell them what to do. And they're going to know they're going to come up at some particular point when God is going to tell them to do something that they don't want to do. And so how do you avoid that? You just don't listen. And you don't listen by not reading the word. And so he said, the third thing we study God's word, be aware of his will, and then do whatever, whatever it is he tells us to do. Regardless of how difficult it may be, how painful it may be, or how many toes you have to step on to do it. And then fourthly, spend time in prayer every day. Every day. Sometimes people pray only when they get in trouble. Only when they find themselves in difficult times, you find they find God. Other than that, they don't need God. But he says, pray every day. And then another passage in the scriptures tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. That means always to be in an attitude or a spirit of prayer. And in this kind of world we live in, you need that. Amen? You need that. When you're driving on the street, you better be in, a, be in, a, in an attitude of prayer for the kind of crazy things these people do on the streets when you're driving. Pray without ceasing. If you, if you pray without ceasing, when that fellow cuts you off, instead of cussing, you'll pray. Pray without ceasing. And then, fourthly, grab, snatch up, lay hold, take hold of, seize any opportunities of service 
as they come up, God always is in need of people to serve in ministry. And he has gifted every single believer to do something in ministry so that his work is never in need. If God's work is ever needed, it means that some people falling down on the job. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And as a result of that, you have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work 100% of the time. And there are others who just sit back and watch them as spectators. What needs to be done is to grab those opportunities. Be in line. Remember when they have those new Apple products come up, how long those people camp out to get them? Well, we should be camping out for the opportunities to serve God whenever those opportunities become available. God has gifted us, and many of us know the areas that we are gifted in and how we can serve. We just say, you know, uh, you know I, I did my time, I'm going to relax. Well, suppose God decided that, okay, you did your time, I'll just call you home. And many of us won't go to heaven, but we don't want to die. Okay, so what if God take that step, makes that decision? So we grab up these opportunities of service whenever they come up. And this also means never allowing petty differences with anyone to stop or prevent us from serving God. And that often happens. Another brother rubs you the wrong way, child, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing this. I ain't working with him. Or I ain't working with her. And as a result, what God has gifted us to do goes undone because God has specifically gifted you to do that particular task. And so it goes undone. We allow petty differences to prevent us from serving God regardless of how minimal the service may be. Remember, little is much when God is in it. If God is calling you to do a, a, a menial task or a minimal task, do it anyway. Sometimes we look at the big things other people are doing and get mad with God because he, don't, he doesn't allow us to do the big, big things that other people are doing. But little is much when God is in it. And then finally, develop friendships with and accept godly advice from other Christians. We have friendships with individuals who can build us up, who can encourage us, who can strengthen us. And people who have gone through some experiences that can give us some advice that we can benefit from. Individuals who can say to you truthfully, child, I know what you're going through. Why? Because they've gone through it themselves. So they're the best persons to take the advice from because they've experienced it themselves. You see, God prepares us for good works. And he also prepares good works for us to do. He prepares us for the good works and he prepares the good works for us to do. Then he rewards us when we do them. Can you get a better deal than that? Huh? Is there a better deal than that anywhere? This is the nature of God's marvelous, matchless grace. Phenomenal. And so closing, we are God's masterpiece because our salvation is his great artistic work in us. He did it. Something that only he could create. Nobody else could do the work that he has done in us. No one. And since God views us as his masterpiece, we should never, there should never be a time when we treat others ourselves or anyone else as good for nothing or with disrespect. Remember, we're all God's masterpiece. 
And so we are to respect each individual in the roles that God has placed them in and not look down on our own selves as we look down on others. Not look at ourselves or consider ourselves good for nothing because God has placed another believer in a position or given them a particular giftedness that you don't have. And so we look at ourselves as I'm not worth anything. No, you do worth something. And so we ought to never look at ourselves with any disrespect. And so let's go forth and live each day like the masterpiece that God uniquely created us to be. Every single one of us is God's masterpiece. And God wants to place us on the mantle, on the pedestal, so that he can get all the glory out of what he has created in us. Can we do that? God is going to challenge you this week with something that you heard here tonight. I guarantee you it. Because the Bible tells us that his word never returns to him void. And the devil is going to challenge you because the devil knows he was here first. He was the first one here. And he's been listening. And he's going to challenge you this week. And he's going to let me see what kind of believer you are. God told you to do this last week and on Sunday. And now let me challenge you. Let me test you. To see if you were listening or if you were serious. That's going to happen this week. You can count on it. Because he's always doing it. The Bible says he's a, the accuser of the brethren. That's his job. And he's good at it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. Uh, for reminding us who we are, how you created us. We thank you, Lord, that we have been created as your workmanship, your unique, great work of art, masterful work, set apart, head and shoulders above all the creative works that we see around us, that we look at and marvel. We are greater than all of them. We look at what we call the seven wonders of the world, And they cannot compare to what you created in us. We are indeed your masterpiece. Help us to live that out by being constantly reminded that you are at work in us, willing to do your good pleasure. And so now, Lord, as we leave here, we pray, Father, for your blessed benediction. As we go to our homes, we pray for peace and safety and traveling mercies. Guide, direct, and sustain as we pray. For we ask it in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and make you a blessing for him as you go.